May those um, 70s just continue to live on forever. Wow. <clears throat> Craig just brings us back to like the Jesus movement every Sunday. He's here. Thank you, my brother, for that. Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, please, and take them and turn with me there. A text we found in, in verses 10. Through verse 14, as Pastor Nick mentioned, we welcome each and every one of you. I think particularly today, as we are preparing uh, tomorrow to celebrate Memorial Day, um, a day that we set aside um, to remember those who served and sacrificed uh, for our freedom. An amazing thought. the marvelous work and ministry of the Holy Spirit is that our text today deals ultimately with one who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom once and for all, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's really an amazing subject that we have. It's, it's a heavy subject, but I, I certainly feel it's appropriate. Um, I, I think I go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God creates Adam and Eve in the splendor and the wonder of of perfection. Um, As husband and wife, it says this, um, young kids can cover their ears, right? They were were naked and they were unashamed. It's a beautiful picture of what God has created. There's the fall uh, of mankind into sin. And, And then it says what? It says that they were naked and they were ashamed. And and what happened? We know ultimately it says that God himself provided clothing for them, skins from an animal, to cover their nakedness, to cover their sin. And I thought about that. Something in that very, very early first chapters, something died, something had to die to cover our sinfulness. In, in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, we know what? That Abel offered a sacrifice to God, an offering. And he was pleased because something died. We see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way through the patriarchs, they're, they're offering what sacrifices to God. You know, the sacrificial system that was, that was put in place. Animals regularly were sacrificed and died to cover, to atone for sins. But why don't we do that any longer? But why, is, why is there not an altar with blood flowing any longer? Because there was a once and for all sacrifice. One died for you and for me. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the subject. There's a heaviness to it. But it is so important this morning. If you recall... Uh, Galatians divides very easily into three uh, sections. Chapters 1 and 2 are personal. This personal plea from Paul. Come on, people. Come on. you got to know the truth. We looked last week as we introduced chapter 3. Chapters 3 and 4 are theological. Return to the basics of our doctrine. And then chapters 5 and 6 are very practical. This is the pouring out of how we live our lives. And so today we deal with this theological understanding or a basic doctrine. So today, before we pray, before we commit our time to the Lord, understand that we're going to deal with the doctrine of what is referred to as divine redemption. 
divine, godly redeeming of us. A purchasing us. A rescuing us. And understand this, there is no doctrine that is greater that strikes at the very heart of salvation. This is not surface or peripheral. This is at the very core of our belief system. And so it's, a, it's, it's a marvelous truth that we pause on. We look at Christ, our Redeemer, all the way through the pages of Scripture. The psalmist writes this, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Solomon writes in Proverbs, he identified God as our mighty Redeemer. Jeremiah says our Redeemer is strong. The prophet Isaiah describes God, the Redeemer, the Holy One. And I love this the most. Job says what? I know that my Redeemer lives. We have that truth today. To introduce to you, first and foremost, this, this doctrine of divine redemption at the very core of our belief system. Let's pause and ask God's blessing on our time as we learn this morning. Father, I am so humbled at this moment that you've given to all of us to open up your word to us and learn from. And Lord, on a weekend that we pause to remember those who sacrificed their lives for our freedom in this country that we enjoy, Lord, that, that, that scratches the surface, in all honesty, the freedom that is offered from sin through the sacrifice of your own Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for his redeeming and atoning work on the cross. And Father, as we pause, as we quiet from all the, 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 the busyness and the movement of this weekend, may we, Lord, just get a glimpse of you. God, I would ask right now that in a unique and a special and in a fresh and a new way, that your Holy Spirit would descend upon this group in this room and that we would know, Lord, we would, we, we would know once again, we would be reminded anew of that sacrifice that was, that was paid. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Lord, for loving us. Bless us now as we learn. Open our ears to hear you. We ask this in a great and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Here's our text. Galatians chapter 3. Direct your attention to verse 10. And we'll read down through verse 14. Paul writes, and he says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified. No one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised 
spirit through faith. We deal this morning with the once and for all death of the Lord Jesus Christ for your sins and for my sins. And pause first and foremost on that phrase, once and for all. Once and for all. I don't know about you, but there's kind of a cool ring to it. Once and for all, it's done. What does that mean? I remember a number of years ago, I had an old Jeep and I had to get some brake work done on it. Usually when they just see me coming, they know. I don't know what it is. This guy knows nothing about brakes, and so we can always just squeeze a little bit more out of him. Tell him it's the, it's the, the speed sensors, the caliper components, it's the uh, diverter, inverter thing, and you can always squeeze a little bit more out of that guy. Remember, I went, and as I went to get my brakes done, I was a little bit more confident because I had purchased at one time piece of paper, and it said on it, lifetime warranty for my brakes. And so, you know, I, I dropped it off, gave them the keys. I said, I tell you what, I'm going to be next door. I'm going to be having a cup of coffee. You just call me when it's all done. Because I knew I had a piece of paper in my pocket with these two words, lifetime warranty. And I thought I was good to go. And, and sure enough, about an hour later, I get a phone call. Uh, hello, Mr. Mr. Bugar? No, no, it's Bogar. It's not really that difficult. Five letters. They never get it right for some reason. Yeah, Mr. Bugar, this is Bob the Brake Guy. We got a little problem. And I knew what I had in my pocket. I'm like, no, Bob, we don't have a problem. Because I got a lifetime warranty, and it says it right here, forever. And he said, no, but if you notice on the, on the lower part, there's this small print, and in the parts that we need to replace really aren't covered by the lifetime guarantee. It's going to cost you this. And I thought about it. Oh, why is it that what we think is going to be covered, that there's some fine print somewhere that says, well, actually, I purchased a lifetime warranty on the parts of the brake that, that never really break. Why is that? Let me introduce to you the, the idea that when Jesus Christ extends to us a lifetime warranty, okay, there is no fine prints. You don't have to be looking for that. When Jesus Christ extends for us a lifetime warranty, He covers everything. Every sin. He covers it honestly, Ultimately and completely. Look at our text this morning. It really comes out, the, 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 the central idea is, is pouring from this text out of verse 13. And it's called, it's called a driving verb. Usually it's found earlier on in the text and it, and it drives or directs the rest of the passage. In this particular portion of the scripture, it's found in verse 13. And here's the phrase. It says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You can easily note it yourself. The subject is Christ. The verb is redeemed. Well, let's pause on that word. What does it mean to redeem something? Officially, it is defined as what? To redeem is to regain possession of something by paying a specified sum. Definition continues. To redeem means to rescue or to ransom. 
I was amazed that the dictionary, dictionary actually said a part of the definition to redeem is to save from sin. It was actually in the dictionary that way. The truth that Paul wants to address here to these five struggling churches who are being torn from the truth and are wandering off, who has bewitched you, remember that last week, who's, who's fooling you, why are you believing this lie? The message that Paul wants to get across to these five churches spread throughout the region of Galatia who are under attack by false doctrine is what? That there is one and there is only one. It is Christ and Christ alone. Before we go any further, I want you to pause on that. Uh, there's a, a great book, it, it's entitled, From Heaven He Came and Sought Her. And there's a gentleman by the name of Donald McLeod. I want to quote him. He says this, describing this doctrine, divine redemption, and what happens, what's at stake, who's doing what. McLeod writes, it is as their redeemer he dies. In their place he suffers. In their place, he is forsaken by the Father. And it is they, he precisely, specifically, whom he redeems from the curse of the law, having become accursed in their place. As an inherent element in that redemption, he has secured again precisely for them the promised spirit. What is he saying here? Look at these ideas. He dies. Someone died for you. He suffers. Someone suffered so you don't have to. The cloud continues. He is forsaken. He became accursed. It is very clear. The Son of God, Jesus Christ Himself, comes to earth and dies. It is a done deal. It is is what? Once and for all. You are good to go. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. But why is this so important? Why do we pause on this? Why is Paul writing this? Lesson number one. Here we go. All of mankind is in need of redemption. Why? Because we are all under a curse, and it is the curse of sin. First and foremost, every single one of us, doesn't matter who your, your mother was, your father was, and your grampy was a preacher years ago. It doesn't matter what your, your grade was in kindergarten, Sunday school class. You and I live under a curse. And it is a curse of sin. Paul is teaching, apart from Christ's redeeming work on the cross of Calvary, we would still be under a curse. Look at the beginning, it says in verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law, you rely on works, are under a curse. The NIV says all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. What is this idea of a curse about? This is like a bright, beautiful, blue sky, sunny day, and we're talking about living under the pressure of a curse. What is this word curse? Hebrew, it means devoted to damnation. Living, being under a curse is devoted to destruction. In the Greek, it carries with it the idea of being doomed. You are doomed. It's the word katara. An imprecation that depicts a loathing to abhor, to despise the utterance of one damning another. Well, that's kind of strong language. That's you and I living under a curse. 
And what does Paul does? He actually quotes Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26. He says what? Curse be to everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. This is a church who is being swayed by false doctrine to return to some form of, of, of Judaism. You've got to obey the law. Yes, salvation by grace through faith, but obey the law. Do the good things. Do the right things. Do you realize what this means when he talks about curse be everyone who does not abide by all the law? Well, what is the law? What is this referring to? Do you realize there, uh, there are more than 800 different laws that are given to us regulations, rules, statutes in the law of Moses that had to be observed exactly and precisely if atonement was going to be made. There's laws that that deal with sanitary laws. There's dietary laws. There's moral and civil laws. There's, There's laws that refer to our worship and our sacrificial giving. There's laws that refer to dress and appearance and adherence, 800 tiny little laws that had to be observed, all of them. If you didn't obey every single one of them precisely, literally what? You are most fittingly, the word appropriately is what? If you don't obey every single one of these 800 laws, you are cursed. Now think about the idea here means anyone who violated even a portion of all of these laws lives immediately, what, with this cursing that has been pronounced upon them. Anyone who is cursed, what, literally, that person is unclean. They are vile. They are plagued. They're filled with sin. You know what comes to mind? Some of you recall reading the classic work by Nathaniel Hawthorne back in 1850. He wrote... Remember the, the, the story, the Scarlet Letter? Supposedly describing how some of the Puritans, the pilgrims, and there's this woman in, 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 in the story, Hester, Hester Prynne, and she is guilty of what? Committing adultery. What do they do? It sets her apart and they take this, this massive red letter, capital A, and they have it sewn on all of her clothes, so that she walked through the entire community, what? Visibly marked with a scarlet letter. That one is an adulteress. She's under a curse. She lives under a curse. Exact same idea, in a sense, applies with the Old Testament, in the sense that there's this idea who one did not fulfill every single portion of all, that they are literally ostracized and separated from the community. There were such sins that if you were guilty of adultery or murder, you were just simply drug out and you were stoned to death. That's living under a curse. The Old Testament demanded obedience in all things. And you couldn't pick and choose here. Sadly, the way that people do today constantly. We have the Ten Commandments. Nobody argues. What? Do not kill. Well, obviously it's wrong. Don't steal. It's wrong. Go to jail for that. But yet there's these other ones, uncoveting. Other ones of, of, of looking at someone else's property, possessions, lusting after, longing for, putting gods above the only one God. And people selectively choose. Well, this one's clearly wrong. We don't want to do this, but this one will allow. 
It's not that big. It's not a, a religious cafeteria where you pick and choose from some. Every single one. You obeyed it all or else. Which means what? No one, no one is perfect. No one could ever completely measure up. Seemingly everyone then lived under this idea of a curse. So Paul addresses this. He writes to these law-loving listeners who want to send seat back towards this lifestyle. And he says in verse 11, it is evident no one is justified before God by the law. So what does he do? He literally, he just drives it home with the statement, the righteous shall live by faith. An undeniable element of sincere faith is needed. Trust. Trust must be demonstrated in order for mankind to truly be justified. And then he drives it further in in verse 12, adding clarity to that. The law is not of faith. Why? Why is the law not of faith? Because the law is what it lists. The, the law is visible. The law is tangible. The law is measurable. The law is virtually impossible apart from a complete filling and control of the Holy Spirit to completely obey. Therefore, it cannot give life. The law cannot give liberty. And so Paul admonishes his listeners to say, do you really want to go back to the law? Why is it that today many people, Christians, people who call themselves followers of Lord Jesus Christ, want to, in a sense, still adhere to portions of measuring their own righteousness as being more spiritual than the person next to them. Paul is saying, what? Put, put the scorecards down. Throw them away. Take the little ruler that you measure your own righteousness with compared to I'm more spiritual than that guy, and so I must, because I don't do what they do, I must be better than them. Paul's saying, put the microscope, put the magnifying glass away, trying to measure and compare and and analyze your works. I I just have a little bit more going for me. Stop trying to figure that out. We live by faith. Stop trying to, to, to figure out who's giving and who's serving and who's sacrificing and who is not. Paul says, you keep your eyes on the Lord. That's what he's talking about. <clears throat> Paul says what? Stop complaining about, about who's doing what. Stop complaining about, well, that person is just slacking off and that person's not, not showing up. And your responsibility and my responsibility, keeping our eyes on the Lord, is just serve Willingly, just serve faithfully. Don't worry about other people. God has them. That's not your job. Stop wishing and, and wondering who is doing what and why and keep your eyes on the Lord. Remembering the promise, the truth of His Word, the righteous shall live by faith. And so every single day, we begin with a focus on I'm trusting in His work. I'm trusting in his work, not my own work. Which brings us to our second lesson. Complete redemption is extended only to those who put their trust in Christ's good work. And not your own work. This is complete redemption. You can do nothing to win or to earn or to buy your way to heaven or to forgiveness. 
We see again how and why the striving verb enters in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ has set you free, for Christ was the only one who could completely fulfill every part of every law. These verses briefly summarize what Paul has been saying. Listen to Hebrews chapter, a couple different verses. I want you to write these down so you can go back to them later. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Listen to this. The author of Hebrews says, He, speaking of Christ, He entered, and I love this, once for all, one time, lifetime warranty, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Well, why is it that why is it that Christ could do this when for years animals had been sacrificed? He was the only one. He was perfect. Go to another one. Write this down. Romans in chapter eight. Listen to verses three and four. Romans eight verses three and four. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirits. What is Paul saying to the church at Rome? He says that there's only one who can fulfill this. There's only one righteous one. Another one, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin. He, God the Father, made him, his son Jesus Christ, to be sin. Who knew no sin, so that in him we might become righteous of God. There was only one without any sin. And God, in a sense, pressed upon His own Son the wrath that we deserved, the punishment that we deserved. We continue on. Since the the law put sinners under a curse, we know that Christ has redeemed us from that curse. This word, exegorizo, redeemed. It literally, oftentimes it's referred to, which is interesting, It speaks about buying a slave's freedom. When we talk about redeeming means to purchase or to set free or to ransom someone, it oftentimes is used in Scripture as a reference to the purchasing of a slave. So go back, Old Testament saints, think New Testament believers, think you and I today. You know your own hearts. There's this constant natural bent. We are slaves to sin. As a result, we are deserving of death. We are cursed because of our sin. We are literally doomed to die. That's the direction that we are heading. But then Christ steps in. Christ redeems, Christ ransoms, Christ rescues us. The best part by becoming a curse for us. Jesus Christ entered, Jesus Christ exposed himself to his own father's wrath, 
Jesus Christ endured that which we simply could not endure. We are helpless. We are hopeless. And He steps in. Have you ever been rescued before? Have this image that just, it never leaves. I probably, probably told you the story. I was in, in middle school. And I made fun of this kid. His name was Jack. It was just a dumb thing for me. Jack wasn't like the... Jack wasn't like the most brilliant guy in the school, and somehow I felt it was my responsibility to remind Jack of that, which is just what not to do. Jack was a lot bigger than me. He had hands that were just huge. I remember that. I remember that Jack had me up, and it was a brick wall behind me. Okay, there's no going anywhere. And Jack literally just had me pinned, and he is just beating the tar out of me. And I was probably just making... Girly little squeals and screams. And my brother, my big brother, kind of stepped in. I remember what he said. He goes, hey, Jack, you go beat up on somebody else's brother. He was kind of the Clint Eastwood of our school. He had those great one-liners, you know. And, 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 And my brother was a lot bigger than Jack. And Jack was not a problem. And my brother stepped in and rescued me. And I have that image. I was, I was, I was cooked. And that's exactly what God has done. We, in a sense, what we getting beat up by our own sin. The law, the law was not enough, and so God sent His own Son to die on the cross and redeem us from the curse of death. That Companies, it's what? Sin demands that something die. Go all the way back. Adam and Eve, what? And they were ashamed because of their sin. Something died to cover their sin. And over the years, there was always this atoning sacrifice that had to be offered. But we don't do that anymore. Why? Because there was one who stepped in. That is exactly what Christ has done. This substitutionary death satisfied God's justice. And offered eternal life. We were slaves and what we have been purchased. We have been rescued. We have been ransomed. We have been set free. We are no longer, what does it say? Hanged on a tree. For the second time in this same text, Paul goes back and he quotes the book of Deuteronomy, this time chapter 21 and verse 33, and he says, For it is written, Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. That's what Christ suffered for us by being nailed to the cross. What is the central theme? What is the big idea we take from this text? Jesus Christ's death on the cross has freed us has freed all of mankind from the curse of death once and for all. I love this. This text includes what you want to receive, the, the blessing of Abraham, as verse 14 proclaims. Then know this, it will come through Jesus Christ. It will come through Jesus Christ. We might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you realize what God has in store for your life? Do you realize, do you understand that? And yet so often we, we, we refuse to accept and acknowledge and to live by faith, keeping our eyes fixed on, on, on Christ, the author and the finisher, 
and what? Instead, we say, why is this so hard? Why is surrender so hard? Why is submission so difficult? Surrender and submission is difficult because it demands that we have a complete reliance upon someone else other than ourselves. It's, it's easy to depend on religion. It's easy to depend on if I just do this, if I just show up here at the right time and sing the right songs and read this every single day, then I'm good. To, no, religion is the easy part. And we get stuck in that, comparing ourselves, competing against one another. And that's why what? Religion and the law brings us into bondage. Rather than a true believer who measures himself against what? The righteousness of Christ. Who understands what he has done for us. And so we pause and we say, by Jesus Christ shedding his blood on the cross, has has shed his blood and freed us once and for all. And we live every single day. We wake up every single morning. Before our feet hit the floor, we pause we say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for sending your own son to die in a place that I deserve. Help me to live this day in a way that brings glory to the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for what you have done for us. God, I would ask that we would never forget the significance, the impact of what you have done. And Father, may that, may that serve as a, as a motivation for us to live unique to speak, to offer hope to others that has, been, that has been given to us. We thank you, Lord, for becoming accursed on our behalf. We praise your name for that gift of salvation. We accept it and we acknowledge it. And we move forward by your grace to glorify you in all things. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.